The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. The wellness community recently joined forces with Gilda's Club to become the largest provider of cancer support in the U.S. and around the world. Our services are offered at over 100 locations worldwide and online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. Of the estimated 1.5 million people who will be diagnosed with cancer this year in the U.S., nearly 200,000 women will be told that they have breast cancer. Uh, for most of these women, someone who cares about them will take on the role of caregiver. And on today's show, we're going to take a closer look at this special group of individuals. We're joined by a very special guest who you may recognize from TV. He's here to tell us about his own personal caregiver experience and raise awareness about the important roles caregivers play. But before we begin, let's move to a segment we call Cancer in the News, which highlights the latest cancer headlines. I'm Bill Schaefer, and this is today's Cancer in the News. A recent study suggests that no matter how hormone replacement therapy is given, it increases the risk of ovarian cancer. Hormone replacement therapy, consisting of estrogen, progesterone, or both, and used to relieve the symptoms of menopause, has been linked to breast cancer and could now be tied to an increased risk in ovarian cancer. Researchers studied more than 900,000 women who were 50 to 79 years of age from 1995 to 2005. None of them had tumors that grew in response to hormones, and none had their ovaries removed during a hysterectomy or for other reasons. During the study's follow-up period, doctors found more than 3,000 ovarian tumors. Women who were currently using hormones were almost 40% more likely to develop such tumors. The link between hormone therapy and ovarian cancer was apparent regardless of the type of hormone used or how long they were used. Researchers stated that the risk of ovarian cancer is one of several factors to take into account when assessing the risk and benefit of hormone use. In other news, men who drink heavily may be raising their risk of developing prostate cancer. The study also found the drug finasteride, which can help lower a man's risk of the disease, appears unable to undo the damage of heavy drinking. The findings come from a clinical trial of nearly 11,000 men looking at whether finasteride lowered the risk of prostate cancer over seven years. 2,219 were diagnosed with prostate cancer, and 8,791 of them remained cancer-free throughout the study. The researchers found that the men who drank heavily were twice as likely as non-drinkers to develop aggressive prostate tumors. The risk was seen in both men who received finasteride and those given a placebo. In addition, when it came to less aggressive, slower-growing prostate tumors, finasteride cut non-drinkers and moderate drinkers' risk by 43%. The drug did nothing, however, for heavier drinkers. 
While heavy drinking may need to be added to the short list of prostate cancer factors, additional studies need to be done to confirm the findings. Uh, here at Frankly Speaking About Cancer, we've provided you with shows that not only aim to inform and inspire patients, uh, but cancer caregivers as well. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, nearly 200,000 women will be diagnosed with breast cancer in this year, 2009. And for those individuals, many of their friends and family members will step into the role of caregiver, which, although extremely important, can often be accompanied by a significant amount of stress. Uh, on September 14th, the wellness community launched our newest initiative called the CARE Campaign for Breast Cancer Caregivers, a national comprehensive program that provides free resources, tips, and support for those caring for a loved one with breast cancer. With support from the Breast Cancer Fund of the National Philanthropic Trust, the CARE Campaign includes an educational publication, uh, which is called Frankly Speaking About Cancer, when a woman you care about has breast cancer, uh, and a series of workshops to be held uh, at centers around the country. Today we're joined by two special guests who have played important roles in the development and launch of this campaign. First, we have actor and care campaign spokesperson Ricardo Antonio Chavira, who is best known for his role as Carlos from Desperate Housewives. Uh, Off-screen, Ricardo has played a, a different supporting role as caregiver for his mother uh, and his sisters during their battles with breast cancer. We're thrilled to have you here with us, Ricardo. Thanks for joining us. No problem. How are you, Kim? Great, great. And we are also joined by Ashley Varner, Senior Director of Caregiving at the Wellness Community. Ashley is a licensed social worker who joined the wellness community last year and has been the lead in the development of the CARE campaign from start to finish. Welcome, Ashley. Thanks, Kim. It's good to be here. So we've got a lot to cover on today's show, so I want to jump right in. Um, Ricardo, I'd like to start with you. Tell us about... Uh, the cancer experience in your family. How has uh, cancer impacted your family? Excuse me. Well, um, I mean, it started off with my mom. Uh, she was uh, she was diagnosed back in like 1980, 81 uh, with uh, breast cancer uh, and also ovarian cancer, and succumbed to them in 1987. So I was what I was about the age of eight, nine years old. Yeah. And uh, and when she passed away, I was about 15 years old. Uh, so, you know, I, I was kind of thrust into this role of, whether I knew it or not, of being a caregiver to my mother, you know, the person who had always been a caregiver to me. Yeah. And then, and then I know you recently had some other pretty challenging news in your family with regard to your sisters. Will you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, I dealt with that. My, I mean, myself and my sisters dealt with, uh, with my mom's uh, cancer when we were young. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I kind of I forgot about it and put it, put it off to the side and dealt with it and moved on with my life. Not really moved on, but, you know, yeah. uh, just kind of grown up and, and uh, started living life and never really thought that this uh, issue was going to come back into it again. Yeah. And uh, a year and a half ago, my older sister... Raquel and uh, my younger sister Rebecca were both uh, diagnosed with uh, breast cancer. And, and and what were your first thoughts when that kind of issue flooded back into your life? I mean, both both sisters—that's pretty amazing. Um, yeah, I was pretty stunned. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I think you know our whole family was. Yeah. Uh, I I don't think my, that I was as near stunned as what my sisters were. You know, I mean, they were the ones that were dealing with it directly. Um, yeah. But. Uh, when my, my younger sister was the one that was diagnosed first, on, she called me on September 10th, and 
you know, I just, I mean, I, I, I lost it to a certain degree. I, it's like all of a sudden, God, I just turned 37. Um, and it like in that moment of that phone call, I went back to being that little boy who was eight, nine years old, 10, 11, 12 years old. Um, you know, kind of dealing with the day to day stuff that I remember dealing with, uh, with my mom, you know, from watching her going through all of her chemotherapy treatments and being sick over the weekends, um, to, you know, having to help her drive, uh, to having to jump on my bike and I mean, it just jump on my bike and go and buy groceries for the whole family. It really, all that just came flooding back in that, in that phone call. And, um, and I lost it. My sister lost it. We were both crying. And then she said, that's the last time you can cry on a phone with me. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, okay. And uh, I made her a promise that uh, she wasn't going to have to go through the things that my mom went through as a single mother. Because my, my sister, Rebecca, is a single mother. Yeah. Um, and I told her I wasn't going to let her go through that. And I'd be there for her. Yeah. Um, and for whatever she needed. And I said, but the one thing that we have to do, that we have to make sure that we do uh, properly, uh, is to communicate and constantly communicate so that you're keeping me up to date on what's going on with you, uh, what's going on with your treatment, your health, um, and, uh, and being honest and open with me about what it is that you need and what it is that you need from me specifically. Yeah. So, and and not, not, just, not just with me, but also with any other member of the family that was providing care to her and and my older sister as well and, and was it shortly after that that your older sister was diagnosed shortly <clears throat> after Rebecca? excuse me yes my uh Rebecca called me on september 10th and then my older sister raquel called me on halloween october 31st Jeez. and yeah. and they i understand ricardo went in and got tested for the for the gene yes they did and they both tested positive and they both so, tested positive for the gene uh since since this time around this time last year, they've both gone through uh, chemotherapy. They have both gone through uh, double radical mastectomy surgeries as well as full reconstruction, and um, now are kind of having to go in and get themselves checked regularly to make sure uh, what's going on from the ovarian perspective. Right. Right. Yeah. Because obviously that overexpressing that gene gives you you know pretty aggressive form of uh, form of cancer, so it's not yeah, just you, about that experience, but it's about that ongoing monitoring. Yeah, you know, and I don't I don't think any of us, you know, you know, when my mom, like I said, that was God, that was twenty over twenty years ago, and and you know, the the issues that we had to deal with as kids, you know, and then going into our adulthood because of losing our mom so early were so vast and so significant. I don't, I don't think, I mean, this completely caught all of us off guard, you yeah. know, where it's like, and it's something that we actually should have been thinking about. And I think my sisters were probably thinking about it, but, uh, I mean, for it to, for it to hit us again in our family and twice at the same time was, was a, a big blow. Pretty shocking. Pretty shocking. Yeah. It's, 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 um, I think really helpful that you're here sharing your story, um, with, with so many listeners who are really struggling with the with the role of, of caregiver. Um, you know, Ashley, I think that uh, we've learned in our experience at the wellness community that a lot of people don't even identify themselves, you know, as a, as a, as a caregiver. So why don't you give us a little background, Ashley, about, you know, what a cancer caregiver is. Um, you know, if you're not providing, you know, direct daily care to a loved one, are you still considered a cancer caregiver? 
Kim, I think that's a great question, and I was I was struck as I was listening to Ricardo that um, Ricardo, what you said was that um, you were a caregiver to your mom, whether you knew it or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. That that you know that it's it's a role that you that you assume, even though so often people don't recognize that they are um, that they are cancer caregivers. That when someone you love is diagnosed, that pretty much qualifies you as a cancer caregiver. So many people who um, are supporting somebody don't recognize it. In fact, we did a recent survey um, of more than a thousand people, representative of the American population, and only twenty percent identified themselves as cancer caregivers. But the estimate that we have out there is that it's between 60 and, and 70% of us um, meet the definition of cancer caregiver. And, and a, a cancer caregiver is anyone who, provi- who is providing physical, emotional, spiritual, financial, and or logistical support to someone with cancer. So even if the person you care about that's been diagnosed with, com- with cancer is completely independent and self-sufficient, takes themselves to their own radiation appointments, goes to chemotherapy by themselves, um, if you are providing emotional support, then, then you are a cancer caregiver. And I don't know very many friends or family members who don't provide some sort of emotional support to a loved one who's been diagnosed with breast cancer. Similarly, if long-distance caregivers... Ricardo, I know that your um, your sisters live um, in a completely different city, several a, a several hour plane ride away from where from where you are a lot of the time. Yeah, and uh, and that doesn't mean that you're not a cancer caregiver, even though you're not in the same town a lot of the time. Long distance caregivers have, in some ways, uh, an even more difficult or at least just as challenging position because so often they want to be close by and they're not. Actually, we just have a minute until the break, but um, how do you think we, we move the needle in terms of getting people to start to understand that they are caregivers and they have their own set of needs just like the patient? Well, I think that's, that's, that the care cam- that's exactly what the care campaign is designed to do, that we have to first help people understand what a cancer caregiver is so that they can identify as a cancer caregiver, and then we really need to um, begin to provide the education of of what it means to be a cancer caregiver and why taking care of oneself as a cancer caregiver is so important in terms of also being able to take optimal care of um, of a loved one diagnosed with cancer. And just quickly, Ashley, I think we've, we've learned a little bit through some of this research that uh, sometimes cancer caregivers have the same or even a higher level of depression and distress as the patient. Is that correct? That's absolutely the case. We actually did... Um, uh, a study that shows that um, that um, well, we didn't do the study, but there is a new a recent study that says that that between 45 and 60 percent of cancer caregivers meet the criteria to be considered clinically depressed. Mm-hmm. And in the study that we did, we found that up to 80 percent of caregivers reported that they endured regular stress and anxiety, mm-hmm. and that caregivers were just as likely as patients to receive treatment for depression and anxiety. Great. But interestingly, their patient, their their loved one, did not. Only about 40 percent of the loved ones thought that their caregiver experienced, experienced that. Yeah, yeah, that's wow. really helpful. This is frankly speaking about cancer. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. For more than 25 years, the wellness community has been the nation's leader in providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at one of our 26 centers in the U.S. and abroad, the wellness community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-WELL or visit us online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. The Wellness Community, celebrating over 25 years of cancer support, education, and hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo, and today we're here with two special guests who are part of the Wellness Community's newest initiative, the CARE Campaign which is a national program providing resources and information to empower breast cancer caregivers. We're joined by Ricardo Antonio Chavira, an actor and care campaign spokesperson, and Ashley Varner, who is the senior director of caregiving at the wellness community. Uh, Ashley, we were really talking about how people are defined as caregivers and how we're trying to really start to understand um, in a much clearer way the needs uh, of cancer caregivers. Some people you know, who care about someone with breast cancer feel that the entire focus really should be on the person with cancer, that their needs come second or even really last after, you know, kids are dealt with, household things are dealt with, and other family members are dealt with. Um, what, what are your thoughts about this, Ashley? How do, how do we address that problem? Well, first of all, I think, Kim, that, that, you, that you just named it, which it is, it is a problem. Uh, you're exactly right that many people who fill the role of caregiver are really reluctant to bring any attention at all to their own needs or for some to even acknowledge that they have needs. And it, it is the natural human instinct, right? When we hear that someone we love has cancer, we want to put all of our needs to the side and focus on helping, helping, out the, help, helping that loved one find the best treatment and then get through that treatment. That is absolutely a normal human instinct. Um, I hear all the time from clients, I'll worry about my needs later. Right now, the focus has to be on her. We have to get her better. The, the tricky part about that is that caregivers play a vital role for cancer patients. And studies show that caregi- caregivers or care partners who do not attend to their own needs begin to suffer emotionally and physically. They have a greater incidence of depression, as we were talking about before the break. The, um, anxiety gets to be higher. Uh, and we also see physical physical symptoms like musculoskeletal disorders and, and other physical maladies, high blood pressure. And just as caregivers tend to worry when patients aren't doing well, cancer patients tend to worry when their care partners aren't, aren't doing so well. So there's some interesting research out there about, about how when patients are doing well, caregivers do well, and vice versa. When caregivers aren't doing well, then patients start to not do as well. So the goal then is to focus on regaining and ma- maintaining health 
for the person diagnosed with cancer as well as the care, their caregivers. And this is our focus with the CARE campaign. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. Um, it's, it's, you know, we really want to get the word out on this campaign and let folks know about these tools that are available and let folks know that, listen, if, you're, if you are a cancer caregiver, you've got to take care of yourself so that you can better meet the needs of your, uh, of your loved one. Um, you know, Ricardo, you're a pretty busy guy. You're, you're traveling a lot. You're the star of a big TV show, Desperate Housewives. You, you know, you've got a lot going on. Did, did this, was this, this uh, diagnosis, getting both of your sisters being diagnosed with cancer, was that kind of a little bit of a wake-up call? Did it change the way you looked at your life? Did it, did it change your relationship with your sisters in any way? Um. Yeah, it did. You know, uh, like I said, you know, when when this stuff was going on with my mom, I was, uh, I mean, I was a little boy. Yeah. So I, I I really didn't understand. I didn't have an idea that I, that I was kind of taking on this role of caregiver. I just, my mom was sick. I wanted to do anything to make her feel better. Um, and and there were certain chores and stuff and responsibilities that kind of got dropped into my lap as a result of her being sick. Yeah. With um, you know, it's funny with uh, with when this campaign launched and 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 we announced that I was a spokesperson. Uh, I think that was the first time that I actually publicly uh, said that my sisters had been diagnosed. Mm. You know, uh, the, you know, especially with men. You know, we we have a tendency to hold all these things in, and we don't want to tell anyone about what's going on with us. Uh, that there are that there are these existing problems, um, and that, and and we have a very hard time talking about these issues. Uh, I know for me, with regards to my family, I'm more concerned about my father and his health because of the caregiving that he's been dealing or, or the caregiving he's been he's been giving towards my sisters versus whatever I've been doing. You know, I I'll be the first one to say, oh, I'm fine. You know, my dad is the one that I'm more concerned about. Um, but with all the traveling and stuff that I've been doing back and forth and the worry about, you know, my sister, I'm in L.A., my sister's going in for uh, a treatment or she was going in for surgery and I was all the way over in Los Angeles and I'm calling on the phone back and forth nonstop. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it does take its toll. The great thing, you know, is where my sisters and I have been, you know, extremely uh, good with communication, uh, calling each other. You know, she called me before she was going into surgery. This is how long I should be going in. This is what they're going to be doing. You know, and then after surgery, once she was able to talk, how are you feeling? What's going on? You know, talking through all of these, all of these issues that she's dealing with. Um, and then, um, you know, but I, I think one of the resources that, that I should probably be seeking out is finding other people that are, that are, um, that are caregivers that are kind of dealing with these stressful situations with someone who's been uh, who's who's dealing with cancer yeah. and um, and kind of talking through my own frustrations. I mean, if you're a caregiver, you're 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 trying to do as much as possible to benefit that person, but that doesn't mean that sometimes they're not going to they're not going to piss you off yeah. or you're not going to get frustrated about a situation, you know, and right. and. To go and talk to someone who doesn't understand that, they might look at you like, oh, my God, how could you feel that way? Your sister's got cancer. And right. if you find someone who is in a similar situation, they'll be like, I know exactly what you're talking about. Right. And I know that, um, that the wellness community and, this, and the care campaign is offering resources like that, which is great. 
Yeah, because you know, you know, you we have relationships with our siblings, right? We we disagree about things, we fight about things, we get you know that's not going to change suddenly. With oh, and my my answer. sister, she she frustrates the mm out of me. <laughs> you know, and sometimes you know I'm sitting there looking at her and and I'm getting angry, but then it's like you know I also know that she's dealing with the situation, right? And then in, you know that can't help. It, there's no way that that's not going to cause stress. Sure, you know. Thankfully, we have been so good about communicating with each other, you know, and it really has brought my sisters and I so much closer together. You know, there had been some time where we've drifted apart, but with this, it really has brought our family, you know, my dad, my sisters, myself, all of us closer together. Well, it's one that, you know, look, it's a, it's a pretty terrible disease, so there have to be some, some secret little blessings to it, some secret little good side effects to the disease, and we hear a lot of folks say that, that it, you know, it's, 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 it has brought families closer together. It's a, it helps people reframe their lives a little bit and, and, and look at things in a, in a new way, in a fresh way, and have some different thoughts about the future. Um, what was the conversation like, Ricardo, when you, when you, you know, we, we, we wanted you to get involved with this campaign because we heard a little bit about your story, and, and uh, what was it like when you, when you broached this with your sisters and said, look, I want to talk about this publicly. I want to get involved in the campaign. Why did you decide to get involved in the, in, in the campaign, and how did you talk about that with them? Well, I think, uh, for me, the reason why I wanted to get involved with, with this specific campaign was, you know, what the wellness community is, it, you know, first off, they're, they're, they're offering, um, psycho, you know, it, it's, it's the psychological aspect yep. of health care. You know, and attacking the psychological aspect of healthcare. You know, let's let's try and create a healthy framework for everyone involved. It's just it's a very fresh perspective. It's 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 coming at it's coming at healthcare from a very different angle. And given you know what's going on in our nation today concerning healthcare, yeah. uh, for me, I was like, you know what, that that makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, and then. I went and I talked to my sisters about it, and I said, look, you know, remember, we were all caregivers to our mother. Yeah. And now we're having to do it again. Even, even my sisters, you know, it's like they're both dealing with, with their cancer separately. But when they come together, each of them is a caregiver to the other. Yeah. You know, so both of my sisters are still caregivers. You know, and then I'm I'm a caregiver all over again. My father is a caregiver all over again. My family's been dealing with this for twenty something years. Yeah. You know, and and it wasn't really until this this campaign was brought to my attention um, by my good friend David that I I looked at it, I read through the the literature, and I was like, wow, that's me. I guess that's what I've been my whole life as a caregiver. <laughs> And you're still caregiving. Yeah, and it's okay. I mean, I'm, 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 I love the title. You know, I have no problem wearing that title. Well, we, we, we love that you love the title, and we love <laughs> that you're helping us bring uh, awareness to, uh, to this important issue because, as Ashley said, there are so many folks out there who do, do not identify as caregivers and really don't recognize their need yet. We know that, there are, that they are experiencing depression. They are experiencing a lot of distress and trying to keep uh, you know, keep all this together. So, um, Ashley, give us a little bit more information about the CARE campaign, and uh, I just want folks who are listening today to really understand why it's important to acknowledge the role of caregivers and why it's important for you as a caregiver to find support for yourself at the same time you're trying to find the best care for your loved one. Kim, the CARE campaign, as you know, stand, CARE stands for Cancer Advocate Resources and Education. 
So it, it is a campaign that we have developed specifically for caregivers. And it strives to help people identify themselves as breast cancer caregivers, and um, just as Ricardo has, has been, now been able to do, and then provide these individuals with resources to help them as they support their loved one with breast cancer. And the resources include an extensive web-based um, resources that can be found at www.thewellnesscommunity.org, um, a booklet, frankly speaking, about cancer when a woman you care about has breast cancer that walks caregivers through the journey of a loved one's diagnosis and treatment for breast cancer uh, and, and long-term survivorship as well. Um, and, and, if, and if the cancer should recur, um, what to do then? Um, we have a workshop series for caregivers called Caring and Coping, which uh, Ricardo has talked a bunch today um, about how important communication is between, uh, between loved ones, between a caregiver and, and their loved one. And it is vital, and communication for not everyone, not all siblings and not all um, uh, partners and not all kids and parents uh, communicate well to, to start with. Some of us do and some of us don't. Uh, but cancer can really throw a monkey wrench into communication even uh, if folks aren't paying attention. So the Caring and Coping workshops are really focused on um, improving communication and teaching a problem-solving method that helps people confront the different problem, the different issues that come up um, when somebody is coping with cancer. So, Ashley, we've only got a quick minute until, uh, until we go to break here, but um, these workshops are going to be happening across the country, or, and, and folks can, uh, can, can order the booklet uh, through the wellness community? Absolutely. People can, can go on the website to order the book, www.thewellnesscommunity.org, and they can also uh, click on events and see where the workshop's being offered. It's being offered at 23 sites across the country, um, be- between now and next March, and then we'll be offered at um, over 40 more places in the, in the coming year. And so folks can go onto the website. They can find a list of where the workshops are happening across the country. They can uh, access this booklet. They can either order a hard copy of the booklet or they can download the booklet uh, uh, online. Um, and, and just quickly, Ashley, if, I, if, I, if there's not a workshop happening in my community, can I get what I need through the booklet? Uh, the, the booklet is just chock full of really important information and talks a lot about uh, the COPE model of problem solving, which is what we teach in more detail in the, in the workshop. Great. Fantastic. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're talking today about cancer caregiving. We uh, are going to take a quick break here, uh, and we will be right back with uh, more of this great discussion. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. For more than 25 years, the wellness community has been the nation's leader in providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or 
more at one of our 26 centers in the U.S. and abroad, the wellness community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-WELL or visit us online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. The Wellness Community, celebrating over 25 years of cancer support, education, and hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We are here with Ricardo Antonio Chavita, who is an actor uh, from the show Desperate Housewives uh, and our care campaign spokesperson. We're also here with Ashley Varner, who is Senior Director of Caregiving at the Wellness Community. Um, we've heard a lot about Ricardo's personal uh, experience with cancer in his family, uh, lost his mother to cancer. Both of his sisters have had breast cancer. Uh, and we've talked about why it is so important to recognize the role of the cancer caregiver. Um, I, I want to talk now about some of the specific challenges uh, that caregivers face. Actually, some folks have heard the term caregiver distress um, before. Can you clarify for our listeners today what that means, uh, how prevalent it may be um, among caregivers, and what folks can do to, to address that, that level of distress? I think that's a really important question. Caregiver distress is defined, really defined as any difficulty or condition that a caregiver experiences as a result of being a caregiver. Depending on the person and the situation, caregiver distress can express itself physically through poor health or stress-related symptoms such as um, muscle or joint pain, or it can express itself through mood changes, or or spiritually it can express itself through a questioning of faith or a challenge as to how to make meaning of of one's life or or the position one is in life. It we uh, it requires a lot more study to understand how prevalent caregiver distress is, it, particularly among cancer caregivers. It's it's only recently begun to be to be noticed and addressed. Um, and and what we found is that it's far more common among cancer caregivers than anyone realized. And and you know why is that? That's because caregivers as a as a, as a whole um, aren't aren't talking about it. They're really focused on providing the care, not on their own needs. Some studies do show us, however, that between 40 and 45 and 60 percent of cancer caregivers meet the criteria to be considered clinically depressed. Um, as I mentioned earlier, in a study commissioned by the wellness community, we found that up to 80 percent of caregivers reported that they endured regular stress and anxiety, um, whereas uh, of the of their their patients, only about 40 percent thought that their caregiver was express, experiencing regular stress and anxiety, which tells us that caregivers did a really good job of hiding. Um, the challenges. And I think one of the most interesting findings of, of our study um, was that piece that, um, that p- the patients surveyed only 49% thought their caregiver was regularly experiencing distress. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and so in addition to, um, to, dis- to, to the distress, Ashley, I, I, and, and Ricardo, you started to bring this up a little bit, but mm-hmm. um, I've heard some caregivers say, um, 
you know, I, I, need, I need a place where I can vent. You know, I need a place where I can go and, and, uh, and unload, a, you know, a little bit. Like, like you said, Ricardo, you know, my sister's being a pain in the neck. But, <laughs> but people are going to think I'm, <laughs> I'm a pretty well, horrible know, person. I mean, if I, again, it, 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 it comes down to that whole thing of I, I'm, I'm just helping her out. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not the one that has cancer. I'm not the one that's dealing with this. She's the one that's dealing with this, you know, and, and this is a big thing, and I have to do as much as possible for her, you know, and, and I, you know, what I'm, I'm a little stressed out or I'm not sleeping at night or whatever. Those, that's minimal compared to what she's dealing with, you know, but, you know, there's those old adages, you know, you can't love somebody until you learn how to love yourself. You can't help somebody until you learn how to help yourself. Yeah. Um, you know, I've noticed it in my father. You know, my father's a, he's a very strong man. He's, you know, Mexicano, very macho, you know. He's not going to let you know when he's stressed out. He's not going to let you know when there's a problem. He's going to take it all on himself, and he's not going to complain, ever. Um, and recently, it's, it's, it's very slight with my father, but I can catch it because I know him so well. You know, and, and it's something where I'll say something to him, I'll make a comment about something, and he's been overly sensitive yeah. And I've never heard my father be overly sensitive about anything. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, where's that coming from? And then I was like, he's got to be stressed out. He's yeah. got to be stressed out. He's got to be. And I sat him down. I said, hey, man, are you taking care of yourself? What's going on? Yeah. You know, and that's when he told me, you know, he hasn't been sleeping well. He hasn't been eating well. You know, and it's like, and, and I had to sit him down and say, look, you have to be taking care of yourself. And you have to kind of take a break sometimes from your daughter's. You know, yeah. I know you want to do everything for them, but if you don't take a break from it, it's 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 gonna you're gonna you're gonna deteriorate completely. And you know, Ricardo, you brought up something earlier that I think maybe we should talk about a little bit more. I think it has two layers. Number one, you talked about how men in general are you know not not nearly as good as expressing at expressing their emotions as women. But then you also talked about the whole other layer of of kind of you know Latino men and the whole idea of machismo and and how that comes in as a whole whole extra layer. So talk to me a little bit more about those two issues. Well, you know, I've, I mean, I've been working. You know, I've done other work with with breast cancer in other areas ever since. You know, I, I got involved. I was uh, cast on Housewives. You know, I wanted to. This was an area that I wanted to to donate my time to because it had had such a prolific effect on my life with yeah. uh, with losing my mother. Yeah. And um, but specifically, I wanted to address the concerns within the Latino community and with regards to. Uh, men in the Latino community, uh, you know, with, with with breast cancer, and that you know these are our, our our mothers, our sisters, our daughters, our wives, you know, and and we we need to set that pride aside, yeah, you know, and and in this case, you know, we're with my father and and his daughters, my sisters, you know, I I, I tell him it's like, look, you can only do so much, yeah, you can't do everything. And sometimes it means you have to call me and ask me to help you. And sometimes it means you have to you have to ask anyone that's around to give you a hand or just to give you a break. Yeah. You know, and sometimes you have to tell my sisters, your daughters, hey, leave me alone for three days. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and, but thankfully, like I said, you know, where with my mother, we didn't realize, I think, that that this was the role that we had been kind of thrown into. Now we do with my sisters. Right. And, you know, with the advances with regards to breast cancer and with regards to treating it, talking about it, right. um, the information that's out there now, 
and and thankfully, as educated as my family is, we're all able to sit down and 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 talk through uh, how to handle uh, the day to day stuff, you know, and, and as well as the, the the psychosocial. Do you do you talk about do you talk about what the future might bring, Ricardo? Do you guys talk about? I mean, I know both of your sisters, you know, with the, with the breast cancer gene, obviously a more of an aggressive form of cancer. They have to do a lot more monitoring. Um, do you guys talk about the future? Do you talk about do you, do you think that 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 you guys are maybe living your life, you know, lives differently or making different choices um, based on this experience? Yeah, I mean, you know, from 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 something as simple as you know, my my younger sister Rebecca, you know, who's she's stage three, which uh, which so it's it's a much more aggressive yeah. breast cancer. Um, from her making the decision to, you know, what I know, my brother and I don't always get along, but I'm going to make an effort to get along because he has a, a daughter, you know, my, my daughter, her niece, yeah. that she wants to spend time with. Yeah. And I think that there's, you know, she kind of sees this as a little bit of a wake-up call, and I don't, know, I don't know what the future holds for me with regards to this disease, with regards to the possibility of, of ovarian uh, cancer, yeah. and I want to spend as much time as possible with my family, and specifically that little girl. Yeah. Uh, so it goes from something like that to... Um, you know, where she's talked to my baby sister, uh, Marcelina, who is from my dad's second marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's talked to her about, you know, I, what if I want to have another child? Yeah. You know, and, you know, so they've, they've had a whole conversation about, you know, she wants to possibly get some of her, uh, some, uh, uh, some of her eggs out of her ovary, yeah. freeze them, and then maybe Marcelina at some point would do her a favor and, and have, you know, yeah. <laughs> or whatever. And I was like, hey, that, that conversation is between you guys, but, <laughs> yeah. but that's awesome. I, I think it's awesome that they're talking about it. Right. You know, right. and, um, but if you don't talk about these things, and if we don't talk about these things, and I make fun of it, but I'm so happy that they are, because if you don't talk about it, I mean, just imagine the stress that's going to be there. Right. And it just is rumbling underneath the surface. Yeah, yeah, and how uncomfortable it is, and it just—it's—it's—I—I I, I can't stress, and it's so great because I know that the wellness community stresses this above everything all above, above everything, which is communication, communication, communication. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And you know, um, Ashley, we we talked a little bit in the last segment about um, the workshops that we're going to be running around the country um, for. Uh, caregivers for their loved ones, but can you just talk, for those who are just maybe joining us on the show, can you just talk a little bit about what's going to happen in those workshops and why they're so important and why this is kind of a different approach than maybe it's being taken in other settings around the country? Absolutely. So the Caring and Coping Workshops are actually, it's a, it's a series of sessions. So there, there are four sessions to each workshop. And um, we hope that people diagnosed with breast cancer and a loved one will come together. So very often, uh, and, and there's certainly a place for caregiver group, for, for support groups for caregivers that are just for caregivers. But this is really dedicated to, to um, we call them dyads, but a person with breast cancer and um, somebody who cares about them. And they will come in as a group. We'll have up to seven, seven um, uh, couples, Cares. if you will, mm-hmm. in each one. And they will learn a method of problem solving that has been studied that improves. It's called the COPE model of problem solving. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was developed by Peter Houts and Julia Buescher. And 
it will um, allow folks to have a framework for approaching different issues that come up and for improving communication and making it just a little bit easier. Because one of the things that happens with with the cancer diagnosis is that that, um, communication can really fall apart because of the level of stress and because nobody knows what it's okay to say and what it's not okay to say. Um, nobody wants to, to, to ask the tough questions because nobody wants to, or very often people don't want to ask the tough questions because they don't want to send a signal that they don't think everything's going to turn out great. Right. You know, Ashley, we're going to go to a quick break in just a second, but is this, will these workshops happen kind of like one time you come in for a couple of hours or is it kind of an ongoing thing? They will, it will be a, a series of four sessions for each workshop. So people will come for two hours um, every week for four weeks. Uh-huh. And, they're, and they'll get tools through, through attending these, the, the series of four workshops. They'll get tools that they can use for months and years to come. Absolutely. Fantastic. Absolutely. Fantastic. Uh, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo, your host. We are talking today about uh, cancer caregiving. Uh, we're talking particularly about breast cancer caregivers, the impact uh, of that and how we can help you find some tools to help you be a better caregiver. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. For more than 25 years, the wellness community has been the nation's leader in providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or or at one of our 26 centers in the U.S. and abroad, the wellness community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-WELL or visit us online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. The Wellness Community, celebrating over 25 years of cancer support, education, and hope. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're here with Ricardo Antonio Chavita, who is an actor and our CARE Campaign spokesperson. The CARE Campaign is a national campaign for the caregivers of women with breast cancer. We're also joined by Ashley Varner, who is the senior director of caregiving uh, at the wellness community. Ashley, um, is, is caregiving always a burden? Um, is it always a, kind of this kind of extra thing that folks take on they're really not expecting? Or can, can there be some, some, some hidden gifts in it? Can there be an opportunity for a relationship to, to deepen through this uh, experience? Well, in my own experience, most caregivers would not label caregiving as a burden. Uh, and, 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 in fact, um, 
I think over 80, in, in one study, over 80% of caregivers said they wanted to provide care and couldn't live with themselves if they did not assume caregiving responsibilities. And I think Ricardo today has, has absolutely given us example after example of, of the, the hidden gifts in caregiving. You know, Ricardo, you said that you and, and Rebecca and Raquel are closer as yeah. a result of, of walking through this journey together. Yeah. Um, caregivers have also shared with me that while they would never have chosen for their loved one to be diagnosed, um, and often they say they wish they had been the one that was diagnosed rather than their loved one, that they have um, noticed that as a result of the diagnosis, um, their their own life, their own appreciation for what life has to offer has, has really changed and improved. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, we, we, we hear that a lot, how it becomes a chance to get connected in a whole different way um, uh, with somebody in a way and in a surprising way that a relationship has perhaps deepened through, you know, through this experience. And that's a, so, you know, a, a perhaps a, a, a benefit or a, or a wanted <laughs> or desired side effect of what we know can be a really difficult disease and, and, and you know, and a difficult diagnosis. Um, Ricardo, we, we know you that you have a nephew yeah. who is the same age as pretty much as you were when your mother was diagnosed with cancer. Um, what, what has that been like for him, and, and, and what is your relationship with him? What's your role like in his life? Um, you know, my nephew's always been a very quiet boy. Mm. <laughs> uh, very, very, very like me. Mm. And I'm being sarcastic there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was not. <laughs> I've always been very gregarious. Um, but, uh, and he, he very much takes after my father in that way, and I think that's because they've spent a lot of time together um, as he's been growing up. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things that I did when my sister... Uh, Rebecca called me and told me. Uh, I called. A, I waited about a week, and then I called back and I said, "I want to talk to my to my nephew, Aiden." Yeah. And I told him, "I said, look, Mijo, I'm going to know everything that you're going through." Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe not from the, you know, the generational perspective, as in terms of what your generation does and all that, but in terms of what's going on with you and your mom right now and how you're going to be dealing and feeling with what's going on with her and this disease, I know exactly what's going on in your head yeah. and in your heart. And anytime you want to talk to me, anytime you want to call me, and it can be good things, it can be because you need a ride or you want to spend time with me or it can be you want to call me because you are so pissed about what's going on with your mom or she is just driving you bonkers <laughs> and I, I just need to get out of the house yeah because I can't stand being around this lady for another hour yeah and and I understand that yeah and um and it's and he was just kind of like okay you know that's all he said <laughs> that's it yeah that's uh, all you were the other day like literally just this past week my dad and my nephew came over to to spend time with me at my house yeah uh in texas and um it was funny because all of a sudden my nephew started talking to me about things and opening up, and my dad was kind of trailing behind. And I was like, "Hey, old man, come catch up with us." And my dad was like, "No, no, no, my my knee's hurting." And then he goes, "Do you know why I said my knee was hurting?" And I said, "No, I didn't get it." He was like, "Because that's the first time he's talked to anybody about that." Oh, yeah. And he said, "And I knew that he wanted to talk to you and make that connection." Yeah, yeah. And I was like, "Oh, okay, I get it. I get it." Yeah. You know. And so it's it's. Oh, you know, I I don't wish it on on anybody his age at all. Yeah. 
you know, but, uh, but I'm so thankful that, that, that he was able to open up to me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's probably just the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I yeah. think so. And it's, it is really fantastic for him to have somebody like you in his life who, it's not, not, you're not, it's not just that you're someone who's a loving and caring relative, but it's someone who you, you have been through it. Um, yeah. And that probably makes him think about it in a different way and creates kind of a, a special, you know, bond between the two of you. Well, and, and what it does is it, you know, it, it kind of, it relieves a little bit of the stress and the tension that's going on with him and his life. Yeah. And, and it also does the same for me. Yeah. You know, because it's like, you know, for me to know that I can be there to help this young man, you know, and give him some answers that nobody ever gave me when I was his age. Right. So there's some purpose. There's some purpose to everything that you went through. Yeah. 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 Well, guys, we're getting to the end of the show. This has been just an amazing, um, amazing conversation, and I'm going to tell folks a little bit more about the CARE campaign and where they can get that information. So if you're uh, interested in the campaign, grab, a, grab a, a pen and a piece of paper so you can get this information down. But um, before we wrap up, I want to ask both of you the same question. Um, I'm going to start with you, Ricardo. If you could you know, really offer one piece of advice to someone who is caring for someone who's just been diagnosed with cancer, what would that be? What would you tell them quickly? Oh, God. Um, I, I, I think it's just the, the thing that I've constantly said um, in this conversation as well as anywhere else is to just keep a very open, honest line of communication, you know, and to not be afraid to ask questions or say things that you think might, might hurt or might offend someone. You know, you, 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 it's, it's not going to happen. Yeah. It's not going to happen. And, you know, there, there is no right or wrong topic or right or wrong question or right or wrong thing to say as long as you have the best interest of that person you're trying to take care of at heart. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Ashley, what, what advice would you offer to folks who are, who are dealing with this? Well, I think Ricardo's advice is fantastic. <laughs> um, I think I would encourage someone who had a loved one who had just been diagnosed with cancer first to just take a moment to take a deep breath and remind themselves and their loved one uh, that they have time to figure out how they want to approach the situation. I think that it's it's often a very tense time, and there's there's there there's a there's there's a feeling of urgency that that perhaps doesn't doesn't have to be there. Um, so um, to kind of take a step back from the crisis. Um, second, I would then suggest that caregivers find a place like the wellness community to get in touch with other caregivers right away. I mean, we, we see with Ricardo's nephew how powerful it is to be able to talk to somebody who's been in their shoes. There's just have a network quite yeah. like that. Have a network, get some support. There are Absolutely. resources out there that you don't have to face this alone. Absolutely. And get in touch with the wellness community. Take advantage of the resources that we have, the booklet, all of the resources that the CARE campaign is going to provide. Absolutely. And, you know, again, I just want to remind folks that that the wellness community, we've joined forces with Gilda's Club. We now have 50 centers uh, across the country where you can go to get support, you can get education, nutrition, exercise, stress reduction. All the services are free for people with any cancer and for family members and loved ones. Um, I, I want to thank you both so much for being here and, and helping us raise awareness of this important issue um, and getting word out about the CARE campaign, which is funded by the Breast Cancer Fund of the National Philanthropic Trust. Please visit us at www.thewellnesscommunity.org uh, to get more information on the CARE campaign. You can also call us at 888 888- 793-WELL. Also, follow Frankly Speaking About Cancer on Twitter. Uh, Get the latest uh, information on cancer in the news. You can always uh, provide us with your feedback. Let us know what topics you'd like us to cover in the future. Um, I want to dedicate the show today to you, um, 
uh, Ricardo, and to your family, uh, and to all of the other breast cancer caregivers who are out there. Um, you all provide really uh, invaluable care and love uh, to those with cancer, and um, uh, make sure you take the time to focus on your own health and well-being. Uh, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.